Hey, do you guys want to hear a, uh, a funny story? Maybe funny story, depending on if I tell it correctly? Yes. All right. Josh already knows it. Chris doesn't. He probably won't laugh. So I was at the doctor's last week, and I haven't been for a physical like in, <laughs> I haven't been for a physical like in three or four years because I like to neglect my body. Um, anyways, the doctor was very nice, and uh, it was my first time going to this guy. And, and as I'm laying down on the table, and he's touching around the abdominal area to check, make sure everything is is okay. He you know wants to distract me and asks you know what I do for a living. So I tell him I'm, I'm a reporter and I cover FSU football. And he goes, oh, for what website? I said, it's, uh, you know, 24-7 sports. He goes, oh, no, 24-7. Mind you, his hands are, are midsection. And he goes, oh, yeah, Josh Newberg. I know him. Big three roll-up, baby. <laughs> and, then as, and then as he proceeded to get lower down, he was like, what, didn't he yell at some old lady to get off his Facebook page? So Karen Keylargo was mentioned with someone else's hands on my body. Anyways, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, Chris Nee, Josh Newberg, droning me as always. Uh, we're going to do some rapid-fire uh, recruiting talk here with Josh because he has to get going in a few minutes, but uh, these two guys were at the opening regional in Orlando this past weekend and, and got a lot of good intel and insight into that, so we're going to do that. Uh, depending on how much time we have with Josh, we'll do a little bit of spring football talk as well, and then Chris and I will just do some of the latest happenings that have happened since the podcast last week. All right, so uh, let's get going with the opening. Uh, let's talk about Jeff Sims. Apparently, he he killed it. Uh, both of you guys, were you impressed with the Florida State quarterback commit? I definitely was. I thought he threw it really well. Josh actually watched them more than me because they were on a separate field. I stayed on a main field, and uh, he watched that portion. Then they, the quarterbacks came over to the main field, so I watched that portion. He was very good in that portion. I thought he was the best guy I watched from start to finish. Carson Beck, who will probably end up a Florida commitment here soon, he was right there in the same category, and I thought they were the upper tier. I didn't think there was really anybody else I would lump in that group. Um, they both earned Elite 11 invites, as did Anthony Richardson. Truthfully, I don't really get Anthony Richardson getting an Elite invi- 11 invite. That's a he's former an intriguing, Florida? Yeah, he's from Gainesville. He's a very intriguing, great-looking athlete. He's a very mediocre quarterback, in my opinion. Okay. Um, just inconsistent with throwing it. The ball, you know, just as quickly as he'll throw a great pass, he'll throw a bad pass. But with Sims, very consistent arm motion, very consistent ball, very consistent at putting it on the hands, did a good job throwing to different levels, did a good job leading guys. I was very impressed. And the most impressive thing about Sims that FSU so desperately needs at that position in recruiting is a guy who recruits. And Jeff loves recruiting. He's mm-hmm. very good at it. He's not obnoxious about it. But like a guy like Redding had a hell of a day. The two of them were connecting. They were getting along. He immediately went to bat for that kid to get him an offer, and we see him get an offer right after camp. And Michael Redding, who's from Pensacola now at IMG, wide receiver, is a kid that was well worth an offer. But keep, keep it in, keep it in your pants. We'll get to Redding in a second. So know, he's excited. Oh my goodness! No, I, I FSU desperately needs a bell cow at quarterback yeah. position, and Jeff Sims is that. That was the first thing when he committed well, a month yeah. ago. Whatever was the intel that I got from people who know him is like he's going to help a lot in that because he's so personable and in, and in, likes talking to people and he's going to represent FSU well on the recruiting and I, trail. I don't know what his ranking is. I don't pay much attention to rankings, especially at this time of the year. But he's going to be a four-star kid and he's going to be a very solid four-star kid in my opinion. All right, Josh, what were your thoughts of, of Sims since you got to watch him a little bit more than, than even Chris did? Uh, I mean, not much more to say than what Chris took uh, <laughs> there. <laughs> um, what could I say differently? 
I just think he is probably right now. He, he, this is the best case scenario for Florida State having a kid like Jeff Sims committed, especially at that position. Mm-hmm. Um, talking to Sims after, I guess this is what I could add. I spoke to Sims after the event. Obviously, he was very excited to earn the invite, um, which he did. I mean, I kind of disagree with Chris. I think um, I'd probably put Tucker Gleason in that top group. I'd take you know Span out and Anthony Richardson out. And I'd put Tucker Gleason from Plant High School, six foot two, uh, 206 pounds, and he's mobile, can throw it. He put up really nice numbers in film last year at Plant. I expect him to uh, put up huge numbers his senior year. And in a way, he could be, you know, he could be, uh, that, that could be a downfall for him because the Plant system puts so many good quarterbacks out there. Um, or puts big-time high school quarterbacks out there with big numbers, and they don't always get recruited. But I think he is a guy. If they're going to take a look at Gregory Spann, I think they got to take a look at Tucker Gleason because right now I don't think Spann and um, Anthony Richardson are guys that are really going to improve Florida State at the quarterback position. Spann, Spann was no good at the event. Just to be as yeah. nice as possible, Gregory Spann did not have a good day. Horrible, uh, horribly inconsistent. Like he's really far behind mechanically from these other guys, and um, if you're trying to get better at the position, I just I don't think Span is, is the answer this year for for FSU. Um, but getting back to Jeff Sims, he spoke to him after the event. He was really excited, and um, he really believes in Willie Tech. And, and Chris said he's a great recruiter. The reason why he's a great recruiter is because he really does believe in in Taggart. He believes in FSU. Uh, he wants to be a part of it. The kid exudes that. Like, he's not faking it. We saw what faking it feels like and looks like with Sam Howell. <laughs> Remember um, when he posted this stuff on Instagram, like, kind of s- trying to show people he was uh, he was it all in. The three of us rolled our eyes at all that behind the scenes. I mean, we, we knew Sam was putting on. You can feel when a kid's putting on and when he's not. And um, Jeff Sims is certainly not. And that's why kids gravitate to him. So... I did think on on the day he was certainly the he had the best performance. He earned the MVP honors. He definitely outplayed everybody on that day. Um, is he a better football player than Carson Beck and Pads? I don't know yet, but on Sunday he was the better quarterback. One thing that's cool too with with Carson Beck and those two guys are probably going to get compared a lot. I imagine because they're both yeah. from Jacksonville area. And they trained together. They trained together. Denny Thompson's the trainer for both of them. Yep, they trained together, uh, and more than likely, one's going to be a Florida State signee and one's going to be a Florida signee. Carson's we'll a heck of a player, and he's really good. And, and Mandarin was a really good team, and he's a really good quarterback. But the fact that Jeff was on par, if not better, in your estimation, I think I think Carson has is considered more developed at this point, and Jeff yes. has a little bit more way to go. So the fact that he went toe-to-toe with him and, and maybe even better uh, says a lot about Jeff Sims' upside, I think, and, and kudos I think, to the staff for evaluating that I one. I think Carson's closer to his ceiling than Jeff right, is that's at this a good way to stage play. of their career. And, and just for clarification, I'm told FSU is not going to recruit Carson Beck moving forward. Okay. Um, and they really haven't been. Um, for the simple fact that they don't really want – they have Jeff Sims. Um, these two kids are close. You know, they're friends. They don't want to really screw this thing up with Sims at all. Um, they know they're probably not getting back anyway. Right. And I think it's just better off that, you know, they put their time and energy elsewhere. So I don't anticipate Beck being a legitimate target for FSU moving forward. 
One one quarterback name I'm gonna throw out there. I don't think he was there at the opening, uh, but I don't think either of you guys were able to see him. He was on a different field, and that's LD Clardy over from from Pine Forest. I need to create a profile from him, but if you get a chance to watch his huddle, he's he's really electric and athletic and throws a decent ball, but kind of fits with what Kendall Browns wants to do. I, I I don't know how much contact FSU's had with him right now, but uh, his teammate was a. Uh, I'm going to butcher the name. Terenzo Turner. Terenzo Turner, yeah. He went and won MVP. Zoe Turner is what he goes by. That's a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, he had a good day. He won MVP at wide receiver. So let's talk wide receivers. He may be a slot. He may not be a slot. He was very good. I thought Michael Redding, truthfully, was the best receiver on the day. I believe he earned the opening invite via that. He's got a little bit of stiffness to him, but it doesn't scare you off. He's very good at going vertical. The speed is good. It's not blazing, but it's a buildup ahead of steam separate. The thing that he does so well that impressed me on a day is the way he gets in and out of his breaks. He creates separation naturally with that, yeah. which great receivers do. And he snatches the ball, whether it's in front of him or above him. He goes and he grabs and he grabs it aggressively. I really liked him. I walked up to him right afterwards and asked why he didn't have an offer from FSU and if he knew why that was. And I didn't mean it in some rude or unsavory manner, but a kid from Pensacola who goes IMG, <laughs> it was kind of dumbfounding to me that he did not yet have an FSU offer. And I know he had been put before the staff. Mm-hmm. Like Harrison Smith, who's a local guy that helps with kids' recruitments, he had put him before FSU in the last year. And I know FSU was somewhat familiar with him. It just kind of was surprising to me that, according to him, there had not even been very much contact with FSU staff he said prior to that no evening. no contact, right? Yeah, and he got offered that evening by <laughs> FSU, which Jeff Sims was a catalyst for. Jeff went to bat for him, mm-hmm. plus the good reviews from other people that were there. But Jeff is the reason I think that really happened. So, yeah, they go ahead and they offer Redding. He's a four-star prospect currently from, uh, like you said, Chris, originally from Pensacola, but now at IMG Academy. Friends with Darius Washington. He's from West Florida Tech is his neighborhood school. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's see. Those are the wide receivers. Uh, what else we got from from the opening that you guys the, want to touch the on? The running back group was running awesome. Back group. Running back. Oh, let, let's let Josh do the running back group real quick. Well, uh, Chris watched actually watched a little bit more, but uh, we all saw Toa Philly out there. We all saw um, Kaziah Holmes, Demarcus Bowman, Kayvon Lee. Um, there was <laughs> there was of the entire running back group. There's two that stuck out like a sore throat thumb, and that was Demarcus Bowman and Kayvon Lee. Um, both of them, along with, I'd say, Michael Redding, I'd say those three prospects looked like, if you told me these are guys from the college level that were coming to help out at the camp, I would have believed it. Um, Kayvon Lee is just massive. Uh, I, I didn't reckon, I haven't seen him for a year. Um, he was standing next to Jayon McCluster when, when we walked up. McCluster's a big-time uh, linebacker target for FSU, and he just kind of dwarfs McCluster. Um, he's massive right now. Bowman looks the part. I thought Toa Philly um, still needs to put on some size, but I mean he's he's a legit six foot and a half, six foot one, about 190 pounds right now. Um, he looked really good. Chris spoke to him after the event. Did you talk to Holmes as well? I talked to Holmes before it started. Talked to him for a bit. He's actually related to JT Thomas, who's one of the more historic back black players at Florida State. Um, and, and just real quick, Holmes won the fastest man competition. Yeah, Holmes is a really smooth athlete. A lot of people think he could potentially be a defensive back. I'm not one of those that's pitching that idea, which it's rare that I'm not the guy trying to turn somebody into a safety. Into a safety or a guard. But I see it when you watch him move around. He's just, he just kind of glides on the field. He's got really nice speed. He's very quick to that speed, too. He had a hell of a good day. Uh Kevon Lee's probably the most freakishly built of the bunch. He looks like a horse in the lower half. He looks like he just trucked through people. What were Put you a, calling him a centaur all day? Yeah. 
If you put on his <laughs> I, he looks like that. If you put on his IMG film, senator, the things with the four. A centaur, leg? yeah, the half man, half horse. So he has six legs. He doesn't have is, four I mean, legs. Four He's legs built like a horse in the lower half. Like each of his legs is like the size of my torso. Yeah. Oh. I mean, he's just built like a dude that can truck three like people in the fourth quarter. Um, but he moves really well for being as big as he is. And there was a young kid, a 2022 running back. I believe he was yes. from Deltona. I am blanking on the name. Bud Elliott actually pointed him out to me when we were sitting there watching the guys. They were, he was really good. He was a guy, or it's Deltona that he's on. Deltona. Isaiah Gordon. Yeah. Don't sleep on those kids. They're kind of sneaky. That's where the um, he's an Miami kid. running back was from that area. Port Orange, right? Uh, Lorenzo Lincoln. Yeah, 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 yeah similar area. But yeah, that running back group was very, very impressive. It's a great year nationally for running back, and Florida is right there in the conversation for having some of the best in the country. Good news for FSU because they need probably yeah. a running back or, or probably two in this to- class. Toa Philly is a guy that's very good, very talented. He's different than a lot of the other guys that we just talked about. I mean, him and Kevon Lee are polar opposite ends. One's much more power, while one more is a little more finesse. Um so I think FSU would be smart to get a guy like Toa Philly who might fit what they're going to do with like an inside receiver running back type and then go get a guy who can be a bit more of a power back type mm-hmm. more consistently. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, I think um, you know, I think Toa Philly is the one that FSU fans need to focus on. The in-state programs I don't believe are going to be FSU's biggest competition. I don't see Florida really going on, on him at all, and, and Miami isn't in there. Um, but he is getting a lot of interest from Ohio State. Um, that could end up being FSU's biggest competition. I think locking him down early is important because they are not in it for DeMarcus Bowman. They are completely out of it for Kayvon Lee right now. Um, I, I do like Holmes, as Chris said, uh, but, but I think they do need also a bigger back to, to go alongside to Philly. And, you know, right now I'm not sure who that, who that uh, top target would be at least. And we know they love Kendall Milton, but he's out in California. But he's a back that they've clearly West earmarked. Knows, Chris, West Side Knowles. I, I'm not getting in that conversation in this one. But he's a guy they've clearly earmarked as a guy they, they would Josh love to have. Josh is an instigator. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going there. All right. <laughs> All right. Defense. Or we got like six minutes for Josh. All right. Demari. I'm, I'm doing Bill King. Um, he usually calls me like nine or three. Defensively, why don't you pick I'll, up I'll that name you just dropped there, Josh? Best player at the whole event, in my opinion, was Chance Williams. I thought he had a heck of a day. I believe we named him Alpha Dog as a company. I fully agree with that. Excellent speed rush, weak side defensive end. Could be an outside backer, could be a DN, depending on your scheme. Very good at what he does. FSU is strongly in his top five. He loves Odell Higgins. His mom's an FSU alum. So that's a little bit of an end. But other the one thing I would mention with Chance is when I talked to him and asked him who he was dealing with, he named four coaches. Three of them were head coaches, and none of those were Willie Taggart, and the other one was Odell Higgins. But Odell was the first coach to offer him. Um, and then Keyshawn Green, FSU Odell linebacker was a commitment. Head coach. Well, former head coach. The only undefeated head coach in Florida yeah, State history. Yep. Yeah, but Odell, I mean, Odell's in there in the in the trenches battling Kirby Smart and uh, Nick Saban. Dan Mullen. He's head and who, who else? Who was the third? It, it was Mullen, Kirby Smart, and uh, it wasn't Saban. It was uh, Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart, and Manny Diaz. Yeah, that's what it was. And, you know, he could use some backup. Odell's doing a heck of a job. But get, get the man a little bit of help. He's um, instigating again. I talked to... Hating ass Josh, Josh, it looks like you just wandered in from a drum circle right now. 
did. <laughs> Jalen Carter wasn't there, but I spoke to um, one of his assistant coaches that was helping out at the event, and he told me Jalen's not going to be showing up at these kind of things and competing. It's just it's not his thing, which is fine. Um, but he told me specifically that he has a great relationship with Odell Higgins. Um, he thinks he'll go up there and work with them at camp this summer. Uh, they're going to be in it. Um, he doesn't say a whole lot. Doesn't doesn't kind of gush over any teams, but one of his assistant coaches assured me that uh, FSU was in there pretty well with with Carter. Carter's a talented defensive lineman from a popka. He came up to Florida State this past season for a game. Yeah. I believe he was with his mother for that visit, if I recall correctly. Keyshawn Green, not a defensive player that had a heck of a day. FSU commitment earned an opening invite. He to me was the second best defensive player after Chance Williams. He ran a four five forty four four nine. Um, is it electronic? He, he moves. And here's the, thing I love, here's the thing I love about Keyshawn Green. When you watch Keyshawn Green play football, you can have your back to the field and know when he hits somebody. Ooh. He just he, He's he that kind of guy. Yeah. Pops back. When he's at a camp competing, he's still trying to hit people like that. And like he just can't turn it off. And I like guys that compete at a level like that. And it wasn't like obnoxious trying to hurt guys. It was like I'm playing so fast that when I got to this guy, like all my sudden, suddenly I'm hitting him. It's not let up because we're wearing shorts and shirts. I think if some listeners right now are drooling with that description. They're yeah, like, oh, it's like well that overdue at linebacker. Yeah. Yes, yeah. McCluster to me is an inside guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I think we've heard some talk of star with him. He didn't come off as a star to me. He comes off to me as an inside guy. He's a safety primarily in high school right now. He could right? be a box safety. Mm-hmm. To me, his work is going to be to the middle of the field. Okay. Yeah, he's. Gonna, I think he's going to play linebacker on the next level for sure. Right. He's got broad shoulders. He's he's going to be a big. He's going to be a big dude. Yeah, I could see him playing in the middle. The secondary group, um, it was good. It didn't light my world on fire. Demory Tate did fine. I definitely still think he's a safety over being a corner. Truthfully, he may be a receiver. Even he's a very good athlete. We've always known that. I'm perfectly fine with him being in FSU's class. I think his value is very good. I think he can be a really good player long term. But if he's playing defense, he probably should play safety. In his his highlights, like he shows really well at wide receiver. Too. Yeah, he's on an awful team, so he's being asked to do a heck of a lot. How I dare mean, you, Freedom High School? They're they're horrible. They had a, they had a, there was a time terrible. Jeff Bidette, terrible. terrible. Kentucky Oklahoma wide receiver terrible. Derek Abbott terrible. So we're gonna skip over. Uh... Fat Brinson, Josh Griffiths. No, no, no. We can have at it, Newberg. Have at it. All right. Seven I minutes. Really like Brinson. Um, to me, I thought him and maybe Gervon Dexter, UF commit, were the were the two most impressive interior defensive linemen at the event. Um, I'd agree with that. Brinson was just a beast, man. He he is he causes havoc in the middle. I think uh, six foot four. I think six foot four and a half, like three hundred pounds. He goes. Um, he told me he's talking to Odell Higgins on a daily basis. Again, um, everyone's just talking to Odell. Odell works his butt off. Yeah, yeah. Another one that is is hearing from Odell on a daily basis. Um, he told me that Will Muschamp texts him every morning. Calvin Thibodeau at OU and Trey Scott from Georgia um, are the are the four coaches along with Odell that he's in touch with every day. Um, he sounded high on FSU. I was a little concerned when he told me about his visit plans, and he said it sounds like he has them kind of mapped out, at least through spring break. He's going to take an official visit to Oklahoma coming up. He didn't have a, He didn't tell me a date. He just said coming up. In the and spring. He said he's, what's that? In the spring. In the spring, right. And then he told me Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson are the three schools he, he's going to visit during his spring break. Now, he goes home to Georgia. Um, I believe he's from Savannah. 
So he's going to go home to Georgia, visit Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson. Um, he definitely told me, he said, I'm definitely going to visit UF, FSU, and Miami now that I'm living in state. So I do think FSU is going to get him on campus. I don't think, um, I think as long as Odell's still in contact with him and, and talking to him regularly, um, I think they'll have a shot. You know, it, as long as they get him on campus this spring or early summer, I do think they'll have a shot because he's not going to decide until December. Um, his mom's birthday is on the early signing day, so he's going to announce and, and sign on there. So this isn't one um, that they have to win now. They have to they have to play the long game, as Chris Nee likes to say. One thing I would add on Brinson, I thought he was outstanding with his hands. You know, most yep. kids in that setting just try to be physical, use brute right. force. He was phenomenal with his hands. His ability to rip, tear through guys, get hands off of himself, get around guys, dip his shoulder – He's a very advanced kid for his age at the defensive line position. He's now at IMG, originally from Georgia, former Georgia commitment. Have at it, Josh. Yeah, uh, Josh Griffiths, he's a guy that we've been talking about a lot because he decommitted from UF about uh, seven, ten days ago now, and FSU offered. Um, he's on the board. I thought he performed well at the camp, camp and he has done good in camp settings. Um, the only thing that concerns me is how big is he going to get? And we've seen, you know, FSU play with some undersized guys. And he's definitely a pass rushing specialist at this point. Um, he's a little narrow in the hips. My only concern with him is just how big is he going to get? And, you know, what's he going to be able to do at the highest level? Yeah, I would add that I liked him. I didn't love him. Like, he didn't set my world on fire. I don't right. think he's bad. And if you're taking multiple DNs, he's a good one to take. But, like, him, the gap between a guy like Chance Williams and him in that role and that job, it's pretty big to me. Yeah. Um, That was it. You know, I I like some other guys on the D-line. Morvin Joseph, who's committed to Florida. Um, He was good. We didn't see Bryce Langston. He was somebody that I wanted to see out there. He's a 2021 DN. But overall, I thought thought it was a really good group of, of defensive linemen. Yeah, and offensive line-wise, going against him, Zane Hearing, he'll tell you he had a bad day. Just wasn't his day. He didn't do very well. He did compete. The thing I like about Zane is there's no doubt that he's a guy that's willing to stick his nose into the fan and compete, which you need at that position. I thought Richie Leonard from Coco was very good. thought he had yes. an excellent day. Um, he won MVP honors for the O-line. Is that correct? I believe he did. Um, feels like so long ago because that's what started a very long day of the camp was the O-line, D-line. <laughs> you got some sun out there. Yeah, I got a little bit of sun, a little too much. Skin cancer, here I come. Um, but Richie was really good. Zane really struggled. Trying to think who else on the O-line really kind of took me away. Uh, oh, Richie Leonard, I definitely think he's a guy that they need to offer now and, and, and recruit. Uh, he's currently committed to Kentucky. And then I think there's there's one other guy that I like, not saying he's an offer today, <laughs> Um, Zach Perkins, Perkins yeah. at, at Berkeley Prep. Um, I think he's a guy that FSU should probably get on now, invite up to camp, watch him during the spring, um, that sort of thing, kind of keep warm. Um, I spoke to him briefly. He has offers from Tulane, Western Kentucky, South Alabama, um, those sorts. Um, but he is a guy I think that's going to pick up quite a bit in the spring once, once these other coaches get down. And he'll have a bunch of D1 offers heading into the summer. I think he's a guy that um, FSU definitely needs to try to push and, and get up to camp this summer. Yeah, not a lineman that they had at the camp that FSU's involved with is Thomas Strader from Venice. Mm-hmm. I don't know how big he's going to get. Definitely think he's an interior-type guy. 
He's good. He's capable. If you're taking a deep class, he's fine in a deep class. If you're relying on him as a primary guy, I don't think he's that. I he he knows what he's doing. He's capable. I just don't know how big he's going to be. That's about it for me. And that wraps up the opening. I mean, I, I could talk about a guy like Kendall Dennis, for example, defensive back from Kathleen. Yeah, he's yeah, a guy that. Like him. Yeah, he got offered right after he tested really well. Brendan Gant's been pushing him to the staff for the last year, as I understand it. He's good. He's an excellent athlete at the defensive back position. Well worth an offer, local and state kid. He, he's good. Like uh, athletically, he's got everything you want at that position. And then there there were a lot of DBs, Fred Davis, but that's not going to be an FSU guy in my opinion. Uh, Jaquez Robinson, who just committed to Bam, a very high risk, high reward kid. He's a gambler. I like that in some guys. And he's got nice length to him and stuff like that. So it was a good, talented DB group, but there wasn't, like, a dude. There is no Akeem Dent in this year's Florida DB class, to my knowledge. Which is fine because he loaded up on the really good ones yeah. last class. There's nobody that's a Dent or a Travis J to me right now. All right. So we got at least one more minute with Josh. Maybe two or three. That's all Josh get... needs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Josh, do you want to be a smartass or do you want to do some real analysis? Just some real analysis. That's what the people are here for. They're, they don't want. All right. Not. All right. So no social media jokes. Okay. Uh, spring football starts on Monday. Uh, Chris, I'll ask you this after, but we'll get Josh and he'll hang up on us as he's known to do. Uh, one storyline, one aspect of the spring, Josh, that you're looking at other than quarterback. Like what, what intrigues you? What's something that you're going to try to keep uh, monitoring throughout the spring uh, coming up here next week? I mean, all eyes are going to be on this offense whatever you know position it, you say quarterback but I think um, which is the most important position but just the whole offense and see what it looks like are we gonna are we gonna see them get vertical more um, and these are all hard things to really take from from spring um, but I think that's really for me um, that and kind of who steps up as leader we've been saying that for the last two years um, but this time I think it is going to be James Blackman because it's he showed that like you can't have a, a true leadership role if you're not on the field. Josh is cheating. He's talking about quarterbacks. I know. This is exactly what I said you couldn't do. Not really. Do. Not, uh, not really. I'm not talking about quarterback play. You're literally talking about James Blackman and the quarterback. All right. Bye, Josh. Hey, have a good day. Josh going to be a leader on this team. We... <laughs> <laughs> Don't hang up on me. I hang up on you. All right. For me, it would be uh... – <laughs> It, it, again, it's the offense, but honestly, it's more about the running game. FSU was god-awful at running the ball last year. Some of that was poor reads by the quarterback. Some of that was god-awful blocking up front by the O-line. Some of that was the running backs not doing their job very well. So it was a combination of things. But for FSU to prosper, yeah, we're going to focus on the quarterback. We're going to focus on the ability of the O-line to block. But we're going to also need the running backs to perform at a higher level within the offense and the offense to provide them an opportunity to do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that coming out of spring, you want to see an offense that can at least line it up and run the damn football. Mm-hmm. If they can do that, they can be a much better offense at staying on the field and not wearing out their defense, which was a huge issue for last year. There's about 87 things I want to see in the spring. But for me, I think that is one that's kind of an easier solution than the passing game maybe in a new offense. Running the ball is a relatively simplistic thing in a lot of ways. It's about blocking up front, finding a hole that's being blocked up for you, running through said hole, and in the quarterback situation, making the right read and knowing when to hand off and having a clean handoff. So there's a you lot less You mentioned quarterbacks, parts. too. Yes, but I'm hanging up on you now quarterback well. just has to hand it off. Um, he has to be able to read, which, yeah, you know, that wasn't, 12 couldn't. Yeah. But uh, hopefully FSU 
shows signs of life with their running game exiting this spring. Because for me, that's kind of what you can you can improve the passing game in time. You're either going to be able to run the ball or you're not going to be able to run the ball. And last year they weren't able to. So they need to show that they fundamentally are capable of doing so this coming year. Well, it's a it's a bad year for Cam Akers, too. Um, yeah. He's going to be a junior. And this you know, for a running back, this is kind of your time to shine. And obviously had a good rookie season last year. Uh, we yeah. know what happened with the whole offense. He'll uh, need so to find his season. number two guy to replace Patrick, Correct. which I think might be Anthony Grant personally. Uh, we we'll see really how like LeBourne is mm-hmm. obviously coming off an injury. He's worked really hard to get himself back to being able to contribute in the offense. But I think LeBourne's a guy, especially in a Kendall Browse type offense, that can have the capability of being an, almost an inside receiver in that offense. Mm-hmm. So if he is healthy and capable, I think there's a lot of use for him. I'm talking more lining up and pounding. I think that it can be Akers and then Grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then even even like a Deontay Sheffield is someone who's going to be more prominent in the spring like he was last spring, uh, solely because of numbers. And he's someone who can run the football a little bit too. So that, that's the running back. So, um, piggybacking off of that, Cruz. Offensive line, I think, is, is yeah. what I'm looking for. And you have a couple of new additions uh, that are already there in the spring. Uh, you have Dante Lucas. Jay Williams. And Jay Williams, a Juco guy. I just need to see one of those guys like that has a pulse. Like, I just need a pulse. And I just need to see that you are competent at being physical, willing to do that. Give me something to work with. If two of those guys can do that, then awesome. That gives you a much better foundation and uh, than you had last year. Storyline um, number 37 for me is... <laughs> Can we find somebody that can snap the ball consistently? That may be an underlying uh, storyline that we're not talking about because I think a lot well, of I'm people. I'm talking about. Oh, uh, you are, but it's number thirty-seven but, on my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think it's something that I've overlooked and kind of forgot about from last spring when Eberly when Alec Eberly was out and God knows Alec Eberly had enough. You know, people talk crap Turned about Corey him. Corey Martinez into a commodity. Remember, That's how bad it do was. Do you remember the draft last year? He was year? the first pick. Corey, Corey Martinez. Because he could snap the ball. And then uh, and then Brady Scott was number two, and he couldn't snap the ball. And, and Brady, I thought, fared okay uh, at times last year. At least showed growth and like, oh, yeah. this guy can actually play a little bit. He took his lumps, but uh, he could be And he was playing out of position at tackle. Uh, but he was supposed to be an interior lineman and possibly center. But, man, he really struggled snapping the ball last spring. Really struggled. So, and then there's Bavion, who's a great mystery. We've heard like that, that Bavion actually came on a little bit late last season. I think you saw that they kind of felt more comfortable playing him. Got but himself in better shape. He worked very hard. He just he struggled with the actual job of snapping. Yeah. They used him more at guard late in the year than mm-hmm. they did at center, and that included in practice. But there's not a whole lot of great great options right now. So that's what I'm saying. You need to find someone who can again. You just need to pulse right now uh, there, and then you hope the reinforcements and some of the younger guys that you're getting. A blended with you know maybe a grad transfer to in the in the summer kind of allow you to complete and overhaul that offensive line, but I mean, you gotta be able to block it up. Uh, like you said, the run game, you gotta be able to block it up for the run game to do something for the pass game to do something. You gotta block it up. That just wasn't there last year, and those issues were magnified by a quarterback who couldn't run the offense to the way it needed to be run uh, and do ad lib things. Uh, you know, yeah, all eyes are on the offense. To Josh's point, when he was on early before he got disconnected somehow. Um, <laughs> I didn't end that. It was a text message from Newberg. <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, let's see how he likes it. Everyone's going to be looking at the offense from yeah. quarterback and, and wondering, you know, if you have anyone behind James Blackman that, that can actually help you out in the game uh, to the offensive line and whether that you can field uh, even a below average starting five to to whether the guys like Tamari and Terry, DJ Matthews take the next step. Uh, 
there's a lot of question marks on offense and and based on what F, and this will transition here FSU's really really using its new offensive coaches as kind of the the springboard to get it springboard to spring like that's going to be their marketing is is they want to advertise Kendall Bryles and and Randy Clements and and uh oh god Ron Dugans I mean that's those are the guys that they're clearly trying to emphasize as as selling points to get the fan base excited and and it makes sense those are all three quality hires with proven resumes uh the offensive staff and let's talk about Clements now because he was added uh, since our last podcast and we expected that to happen at some point or another last week a little bit earlier in the week but he's he's added and on paper, Chris, the offensive staff, I think, looks markedly better than it did a year ago. Well, I think, you know, last year going into the spring, we are talking about teaching and learning, and there was some of that going on between the coaches, not just with the players. Mm-hmm. You know, Walt Bell's running the offense that Willie Taggart's trying to call, that Greg Fry's trying to block up, and it's not very seamless. Now we've moved Taggart out of the equation, and Browse and Clements, who kind of go hand-in-hand, hand, are doing it. They, well, the players they, will how have they to, been coaching together? Like a decade? And, I, known each, and Clemens said yesterday he's known them for, since they were eight years. They he's, finish each other's sentences. They're, they're that kind of couple. They're like us. Um, no, oh. but uh, digressing. Um, I think it will be obviously a learning curve for players to understand what they're doing under Randy's guidance or Kendall's guidance with mm-hmm. the, you know, the center of the offense. But... The thing is that when one's talking to him, the other one can positively reinforce it because it goes so hand-in-hand for him. They understand what the other one is thinking about, what the other one is trying to accomplish in this situation. Instead of the O-line coach putting his hands on his hips and listening to the OC, who's explaining what they want to see, what the head coach also barking in. Mm-hmm. You've gotten rid of a lot of the... We're all trying to figure each other Disjointed out. Disjointed. And it's very much... It's seamless. Now it's a matter of the players taking to it and learning. And here we are again installing teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. So we're back where we were a year ago, essentially, in the same idea. I just think that from a lesson plan standpoint, it's a lot easier for the coaches to kind of understand what they're trying to accomplish. When they break away from being together, when Randy Clements is talking to his group solely about what they need to do, he's going to be echoing what Kendall Browse would be saying instead of trying to figure out if he's telling him the right thing to what Walt, Greg Fry would be telling his O-line for what Walt Bell and Willie Taylor would want the offense to do. That's my point. That, and that's something, in hindsight, we probably should have seen last year. And, and we're focused so much in covering them from the perspective of can they run tempo and they're learning how to do all this. Uh, and the that, answer to that question was a definitive <laughs> no. I remember asking Willie about that early, like in right before right, right before the preseason camp started about the tempo and how long, like when he transitioned from USF to very traditional kind of power eye type of deal to to the spread up tempo, like how long it took guys to get that. And, and he kind of danced around the question and said, you know, we're not going to be running, try to run 80-something plays a game, but that's what they tried to do and, and failed at it. Um, learning how to play fast takes takes a while, evidently. Also so takes having the right players to do it. And that's part of it, too. And, again, going back to the offensive line, I think that handcuffed you a lot, having the quarterback that you had handcuffed you a lot. Yes, we've we've addressed this all before. Flush but, it all out of your system, buddy. Flush it out. <laughs> but the one positive I'll say is that at least this year going in the spring, you kind of at least – have a better idea of tempo. Uh, not to say that they were executing it particularly well at any point last season, but you at least know what it looks like. You have guys who've gone through it with a full season. Yeah. That's not brand new. To your point with uh, the cohesiveness with Randy Clements and, and Kendall Browse, like they've known each other 
Uh, FSU's been putting out these one-on-one videos of them, um, which I would love to be able to talk to the assistant coaches too, but I digress. Um, In a week, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Um, But for right now, they're press releases as far as I'm concerned. Anyways, Randy Clements was talking yesterday. They released one uh, on, on Tuesday evening, and essentially he was talking about his history and how he came to Florida State and his relationship with, with Kendall Bryles. And I mean, he's a guy who's coached on the high school level and then he's worked with, with at the college level with Art Bryles for about a decade. He's known Kendall since Kendall was eight years old and gave some cool insights into the Kendall being this really feisty, uh, kind of dangerous like play caller and stuff like that because that fit his personality and how he played football when he was a quarterback. Uh, and Randy's kind of like to think of himself like, like the voice of reason to be like, well, let, let's let's slow down a little bit here. Well, Kendall wants to keep going. So as you're mentioning, like those two play off each other well, uh, and that's kind of what your FSU. That's that's what you're hoping for is that cohesiveness, that chemistry uh, can kind of carry over from what they've done at at Baylor, at Houston, uh, now to to Florida State. Yeah, it's funny we've not talked a lick about defense. No, no. Well, we can talk about defense. Storyline number 56 <laughs> is Odell Hagan's taking over the whole defensive line. You know, Robert Cooper has said it. A few recruits have said it. It's one of those things we expect. It hasn't exactly been explained by FSU what the dynamics will be. I don't know if Mark Snyder is going to completely excuse himself from defense, if he's going to be like an overlord who looks over all of it and feeds it back to Harlan Burnett because those two Which have worked together. Sense, given that- or if he's going to still work with DNs. We don't know. We don't know what the dynamic ultimately is going to be. We do know that was supposed to be over the whole defensive line. Truthfully, last year they practiced a lot as a whole unit. And it was usually Odell and Mark, but Odell was the one barking at the bags with Mark talking to, you know, Burns or Robinson or his DNs, kind of providing a little side story insight stuff to him. Um, so I don't think it will be a drastic change for the players that are returning. I think most of them understand the dynamic of what they were trying to accomplish up front. So I don't think that would be a huge deal. Defensively, I think it's more about seeing, you know, is Levante Taylor healthy and ready to contribute at a high level like he did two years ago, not like he did this past season while banged up and losing confidence. You know, safeties are going to be a big storyline to me. They were so awful down the stretch last year in the season. Can it improve and can it improve quickly? If it does, it improves the entire back half of the defense. Linebackers, are do they have more bodies that are capable of doing more things where they don't have to sell out and be one type of linebacker? They can be a little more versatile and play different schemes. To me, that that's what you want to see. Mostly it's growth on the defensive side of the ball. You're returning a lot of talent. You're injecting some really good new talent. You want to see how it all kind of takes. You want to see if a guy like Xavier Peters is ready to come out of his yeah, shell. Yeah, man, you need to find some. Something. You need to see if you can find someone that can bring some juice off the edge. Because yeah. right now, I don't know who replaces and Brian Burns or who gets close to replicating his production as a pass rusher. Storyline number eighty three <laughs> is: Does a guy like Carlos Becker have any Anything. intent on contributing to this team? He's or been is around. It time to he's cut been around down? in the chase. Uh, I mean, he's based tor- on what we've he's seen. turning into the new Adam Torres in some ways. He's like, actually played right. But how cr- in the Adam, sense have you ever covered anyone that went through no. five years of football? Ball never played a snap, but uh, it's just a matter. Of, there's a few guys on that defense, so it's kind of you know, yeah, do it on the Cooper pot get or off, get off. Yeah, yeah. Cooper yeah get so. off the pot time. I was gonna, I, I was gonna do a slideshow. I mean, a, a long form article. <laughs> <laughs> the wheels are just turning in your head. I was, they? I was, you know, now or never type of deal because yeah. it is. I mean, this is Willie Taggart has talked about this. This is overhaul. Uh, it's his job to find players who can replace the current ones and it's the job of the current ones to fend them off. That's yeah. what his whole premise is based on. He's talked about that since day one. Uh, it's very clear that this 2019 class was about trying to find 
the right guys, chemistry, alpha dogs, whatever. I, you know, we could talk about whether there was some talent voids or not there too. We're not back moving forward. We're not. Do back you want to know what storyline number two is? Yes. Who replaces Brian Burns? I just and I, how do they replace Brian Burns? They, I, don't I don't think, think a singular guy is going to replace Brian. We Burns. had this conversation with Demarcus Walker. Was it two off seasons ago? Yeah. And I would use the phrase replace, and I would have to kind of keep reminding myself, okay, you're not replacing what he did because he could do it all. He was a really, yeah. really accomplished college pass rusher by the time his career was done. Arguably one of the best in Florida State history. Both, yeah, I mean, the production says that. Brian Burns, uh, you know, kind of weird because he had the really good freshman season and then sophomore slump and then, you know, was was really hot or cold as a junior last year, but when he was hot, like, was it, really it was really impressive and he was dominant at times off the edge. So, they don't have a body like that on the roster. They don't have a twitchy, fast edge, you know, bend you bend around the outside and get the quarterback that way. J-Rob is the guy to me that if someone's going to step up and be kind of the alpha of that bunch, it's him. But he has to do that. And we're going, yeah, and then J-Rob shows flashes, like he hustles, and when he, when he plays really hard, and he usually does, like some good things can happen, but it's a matter of kind of knowing instinctually like where to put it together. And that hasn't happened yet. Um, but, but if... I think that what we're going to talk about here for the next minute as we're talking about defensive ends, there's going to be a lot of ifs. Joshua Kando, yeah, yeah. if. Xavier Peters, if. Yeah. Um, you know, Dennis Briggs isn't going to be that twitchy Kando, guy at the Kando, Kando and J-Rob are two of the best-looking dudes you're going to find. Out yeah, those are off the bus, the yep. But neither has really put it together yet in their FSU career, and it's for different reasons. J-Rob was a very raw guy coming in. Uber talented, oh, you very athletic. Raw. You used raw. He was raw. He didn't know what he was supposed to do at the defensive end position. Mm-hmm. And in Kando's situation it's been injuries on top of injuries on top of injuries i don't think kando's ever had like a four to six week stretch where he's just been healthy and able to go and go do it and that's probably his biggest issue he's one of those guys i think if the ball got rolling and the momentum was there and he put it together two three weeks in a row he'd be good to go and we wouldn't be talking about him anymore but he's never done that so far in his career yeah, and remember that was a five-star guy. What was he the number one defensive end in the country? Right up there. It doesn't matter. But he was high expectations coming in. Um, and then you look at the production from the defensive ends. Do any of those guys have more than two sacks? Like, in, or no, Kando well, does. Kando does because he but racked up a few four in that one against game. Delaware State. Yeah. Um, but I think this past season, I guess, is what I was looking at. I think like Marvin Wilson's your leading returner in sacks from last year, and and you get pressure from the inside, that's fine. But you him and Durden, I think, are going to provide that. And Jalen Parks, if he can get he's healthy, healthy. another guy, I think we'll get in that mix. And there's a few other bodies inside. I think they're much more prepared inside than they are outside. I think mm-hmm. outside is very much going to be a search committee. Yeah, yeah, I think you got to kind of try to find. You're going to have to use a platoon, but the issue is they don't have a ton of depth there either right now. I know they recruited a few guys to come in, um, like Curtis Fan yeah. and, and uh, Derek McClendon. But they don't come in until May, correct? So that's, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens up front. But that's going to be, that was a, one of your clear-cut strengths last year is you had Brian Burns on defense. And you had a lot of other issues. Now Burns is gone. You have to hope that those other issues are you know, rectified through just experience and getting in the guys you want, whatnot. So, all right, that's that's defense. Uh, Bob's not here, so we won't talk about Bob! <laughs> we won't talk about special teams right now. Uh, real quick, real quick, we were talking about the coaching staff and, and the additions of the guys on offense. Uh, still a question of what that means for for David Kelly, who was the wide receiver coach last year, uh, moved off of that role into kind of this floating nebulous thing right now for Ron Dugans. Uh, we're under the belief that DK probably wants to stay on the field at some capacity. I don't know whether FSU has the 
the room to do that and how they would plan without him. Because right now it's an overload of guys on offense versus defense. If he does stay on that side of the ball, that's what he's coached his entire career. If Mark Snyder is coaching special teams, I don't know where you put DK. Um, and FSU has tried to put in a waiver to have DK off the field to where you can keep him in, in the program. And that really, I think, what could be a valuable GM role. Um, but I'll keep it to you, Chris. It's it's complicated. I mentioned last week on the pod that Wayne McGahey of Tallahassee Democrat told me that the waiver was denied. I spoke to somebody that would have firsthand knowledge of that in the last couple of days, and they confirmed that, in fact, it had been denied. It is being appealed. The person I spoke to didn't know exactly how the appeal process goes, um, like when they can expect a resolution and all that stuff. He didn't have those kind of details to unleash upon me. It's the IAWP rule, the individual associated with a prospect rule that is causing this whole issue. Truthfully, it is insanely stupid that that rule is causing the issue here. It's a broadly written rule yeah. that's meant to protect not hiring a coach or a parent that, or something that like that. That rule was created to keep seven-on-seven coaches, yeah. mentors in quotations, trainers, unqualified people away from getting into college games just to secure a commitment from a kid. The issue is that that role has hurt people who were qualified coaches coming out of lower ranks, high school coaches who are very good at getting jobs at the college With level. With like Stanford and Samuels, then, yes, part yeah, of, Stanford, you're talking about a qualified yeah. head coach. You, you look at Bush and Samuel. Yeah. Bush went to Michigan before the role became in existence, got a job, no issue. Samuels probably would have been on staff at FSU in some capacity mm-hmm. coming out of Flanagan where he had won a state title. If not for the rule, rule comes around, he can't do that for two years because his son's on the roster. He cannot be part of the roster for two years. It's a two-year window before he would be allowed. So I guess it would be technically about now, this now-ish. point now yeah. um, that he could come onto the roster and coach. And you can't hire a person directly like that, but you have to hire them as one of your on-field assistants, which mm-hmm. means you have only those 10 spots. Not a quality control coach, not a grad assistant, not a director of football operations. It's a on-field coach. And so that's where when it applies so to David the, Kelly. The reverse version of that is David Kelly. David Kelly has been associated with Willie Taggart now for several years, off-field role, doing stuff, comes to FSU, gets an on-field role. But now they would like to potentially move him to an off-field role, and they're not able to do that because he's associated with prospects. What prospects? Well, guys like Trayshawn Harrison, for example. Mm -hmm. A vast majority of last year's recruiting class that just signed is guys he's associated with. So if he was to go off the field, which FSU could, you know, just move him off the field, do what they want to do, and then see what the NCAA says. The issue is if the NCAA says, well, you're breaking the rule, it could hurt the eligibility status of some of those guys on the roster, Trayshawn Harrison's, and those that he's associated with. It's a really idiotic application of the rule. I could jump on a soapbox and do a whole podcast about how stupid the NCAA, was, NCAA is with the broadness of how they do their rules and the issues it causes for compliance. And when you over, uh, over-concern yourself with compliance issues, you kind of create your own issues with it, which FSU has to some degree here. But here's the thing. DK is a guy that's had a show cause before. He's had past issues with the NCAA. You don't screw around. Yeah. So they're in this conundrum of having to deal with all this. And it kind of handcuffs them in where, you know, 60, 90 days into the offseason. And they're not sure what they can and cannot do with David Kelly. I mean, they could just fire him, which I'm not campaigning for. And I don't think would be a smart thing. I don't think anybody in that building wants that. They could do that. And it would free them up. They can go make a hire and balance out the staff and all that stuff. And it solves itself. And they could even probably fire him and rehire him at some point down the road for the off-field role. 
maybe in a year. I'm not sure how exactly that would work within the rules. I don't think it could be immediate. They could do that. I don't think anybody wants to do that. I'm not campaigning for that. I'm not saying they should do that. But that's one resolution. The other one is trying to get the waiver, which allows him to move off, which is what they're trying to do. Essentially, they're trying to abide by the rules, but it's a really stupid rule. Like so many times with the NCAA, and we could probably do an entire podcast just dumping all over NCAA decisions. Uh, this was, in theory, a rule that was meant to, to protect things and, and just not execute it well. Oh, well, it screws so many level of people. It's... It's not allowed so many people to break into college coaching that probably deserve to be in college coaching. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, you've got situations like this where it doesn't allow a person, Willie Taggart in this situation, to properly manage his staff because he's handcuffed by a stupid rule that's being applied in a poor manner. Yeah. Uh, well put. Uh, that explains it. I know people have been asking about it on the message board. I think that should answer it. Uh, we should probably timestamp this and refer them to this uh, tidbit. And- there was a good thread. I think mean, I don't know L A T H I U S. So Theus, I guess, is the one who started, or at least he commented in. And I kind of went and talked about the IWP rule and the application by FSU and whether FSU should ignore it or just not ignore it, and you know why they're not ignoring it. And it was a very good discussion. We haven't really written about it because it's one of those things that you know I've talked to people that were in compliance who are in compliance at FSU currently about it and it's all about interpretation of the rule and the problem with NCAA rules is that it's not you can't go out after 4 30 p.m it's you may not want to go outside at a time when the darkness may come that's how rules are with the NCAA everything is so broad and poorly defined that it sort of screws the schools into a situation where if you want to be super vigilant you kind of over-police yourself, which is what's happening for FSU in this situation to some degree. All right, let's go from one topic you're passionate about, and we're wrapping up here. Basketball? Yeah, I was going to give you 30 seconds of basketball talk. Hang on, I'm going to time it. (laughs) All right, go. Uh, Notre Dame game was kind of uh, made your eyes bleed to some degree. It just wasn't fun. Quick turnaround, though. FSU's had three of those quick turnarounds. They're two and one. They lost at Pitt. Virginia Tech was supposed to lose to Duke last night. Duke, you had one job. 15 seconds. But VTech won, so FSU needs to win out, beat VT. They'll get the number four seed in the ACC tournament, double bye, which is hugely important. Next game's NC State at home. That's on Saturday. Philip to talk. Woo! With a second to spare, too. I do like that right after we did the basketball-specific podcast, the right game winning streak ended. Your it was UNC at UNC. It, it was it, going it, to. Jinx. It was, going, it was going to happen. It no. never be on another podcast. If, if they won at UNC, I was going to go to Vegas no, and no, lay a little no, money no. down, okay? Because no. winning at UNC is a hell of a task. And FSU doesn't match up well with UNC. UNC loves playing transition basketball, getting three-pointers out of it, and playing high-level defense, which is what FSU loves to do. But the problem is UNC's got better players, and they do it at a higher level. So it's an insanely difficult matchup. Plus, FSU played really poorly in that game, and it was the worst shooting effort of the season for the Seminoles. All right. Passion, baby. Would you rather watch FSU basketball or have a really nice beer? You can have beer while watching No, 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 a really nice beer, like like a nice stouty. I know you like your dark beers. I tried a mocha stout yesterday. I was very disappointed. Have you ever had the Sweet Baby Java, Sweet Baby Jesus, I think it is? Yeah, Sweet Baby Jesus. Yeah, and they have a peanut butter one, too? Yeah. Um, today's Whiskey Wednesday. I'm to drink today. <laughs> um, you do realize it's only 925. I didn't say I'm drinking yet today. Uh, let's talk real quick, Chris. They got a they got a quarterback commit Florida State did, Wyatt Rector. Um, that's all you, buddy. Oh, that's me? I don't want to have to talk I know about it. I know Wyatt faintly from his first recruiting process. I mean, 
keep adding bodies. I got no issue with them stockpiling, especially if it's not on scholarship. I know there's a possibility you could end up on scholarship, but in the case where it's not on scholarship, I'm perfectly fine with it. You keep stockpiling bodies. Worst case scenario, if it plays out, you got it. But obviously, it's still very important for them to get two good ones in the 2020 class. Yeah, I think they still need to get court. Oh, God, you're going to leave me? I'll be back. All right, so I have... Uh, all right, so they get Wyatt Rector. He's a transfer from Western Michigan. Uh, he was at a Division II school for like a week, uh, never technically enrolled, so that's going to be scratched from his profile. According to I, I spoke to his father, and he said he never really technically enrolled there because uh, he was there for less than a week. Uh, so then NCAA won't count it as such. But he was at Western Michigan for a year. The quarterback coach who was recruiting him uh, left like a few days after Wyatt signed. Uh, this past or last recruiting cycle, I shouldn't say this past one, two recruiting cycles. When he now. enrolled, yeah, when he enrolled. So uh, that will be what they're going to hope for. Florida State, from my understanding, is going to try to get the waiver for for Wyatt. Is that uh, his position coach, his recruiting coach, left? Uh, speaking to Wyatt on the phone the other day, he really, really sharp, uh, smart, insightful young guy. Uh, who you can tell, kind of, you know, he's a little bit older than when you deal with like a 16, 17 year old. I know it's only a couple year difference, but but he's been around a little bit and he's worked two jobs since uh, since football ended, like at Sherwin Williams and Walgreens. So you know, he's got a taste of, of life in the real world a little bit more than than most kids. Um, anyways, Wyatt, you know, thought that he never really got a fair shake at Western Michigan because his coach left. The guy who recruited him and believed in him ends up leaving. Uh, he, he goes on the scout team. And just travel team some weeks, other weeks he wouldn't. He would just kind of sit and watch back home, and, and that was tough for him. So wanted another chance somewhere. Listen, I don't know. You know I don't know if Wyatt ends up being a big time contributor at Florida State. I do know that he's really athletic. I know he's a guy who can help you with with scout team. I know he can play a couple of different positions. You know, Western Michigan would line him up yeah, other spots on offense too because he is so athletic. Like he's a legit four six guy. This is post ACL surgery too from a couple of years ago. On the upside is, like uh, you know, Kendall Bryles has been known to develop quarterbacks and different types of quarterbacks, but a big mobile guy is something that he can work with. Uh, Wyatt doesn't have an amazing arm, but he can get the ball downfield. Uh, and again, he, he runs to throw, which I really like. So he helps you out, uh, I think, a fair amount with depth. And, and again, he's a guy who you maybe can develop and you turn him into something because he has high upside because of his, his physical tools. Uh, but to explain real quick uh, what the, the status is with him, because we've had a few people ask on the message board, and I thought it was explained clearly. Maybe this will be an easier way to explain it. Right now, he's a preferred walk-on. He's supposed to enroll in May. FSU is going to apply for a waiver. Wyatt didn't know how long that would take. What's with the waivers and people not, not knowing how long they're going to take? Stupid uh, NCAA. You're doing yeah, NCAA. Exactly. Yes, that wasn't a shot at any of the FSU people. It's like playing darts backwards. Um, but they're going to put in a, a waiver for, like I said, to, to get the hardship to become immediately eligible. If that does happen, he'll be placed on scholarship. That's the verbal agreement that they have right now. If it doesn't happen, then they're going to wait until the spring, see how he performs, uh, see if you know he ends up being a guy that they want to put on scholarship. Uh, and that seems like the worst case scenario if he doesn't get the, the waiver. So. Best case, he becomes eligible for this season, gets put on scholarship, and you know he's he's someone who can play for you, and you can maybe create some sub packages for. Worst case is you probably would then are thin at quarterback still. So, does that make sense? Does that touch on everything? I think so. Wow, I don't like being the center of attention. For those that didn't know, we didn't mention it earlier. Spring football for FSU starts next Monday, March fourth. I think I said that. They have a but junior day, March 9th, Spring games, April sixth, also a junior day that day. So who had the, who had, big who had the spring dates. game story first of the date? I'm just messing with you. I'm just trolling you and everyone else. You guys. I love you all. All right. So real quick, somehow, Chris hates me again, which is, I know, a sign of a good podcast. 
Uh, real quick, guys, we are still transitioning over to the Megaphone hosting site. I think some of you have had some issues with uh, the subscriptions uh, of the podcast going straight to your, your, your subscription site, like iTunes or Google Play. Uh, we're still working on it. I think some of that's being uh, fixed, and I think it showed up on Google Play yesterday or two days ago, so that's good. Uh, but please let us know. Shoot me. I was going to say shoot Chris or myself. Shoot Just me. shoot him. Shoot him right in the head. <laughs> shoot me a PM if it's not working for you, so that way I can pass it up to the people on National and they can fix it because it's out of my hands. But, uh, yeah, we'll work on that. Thanks for listening, everyone. Chris, thanks for joining me. Josh, like 30 minutes ago, thanks for joining us. We'll do one at the start of spring ball next week, probably Monday, if not Monday, Tuesday. Yeah, we're trying to record in the middle of the week on Wednesdays, but I think for the beginning of spring practice, and, and we're expecting some of those practices to be open. We'll, we'll, we'll Might be a two-podcast kind of week, too, ooh. opening spring ball ooh. and then having a junior day on the back end of the week. All right, thanks, everyone, for listening. Oh, and basketball. Yes. With the Knowles 24-7 podcast, this is Brendan Sinone. Remember, five-star review on iTunes, please. Rate, subscribe. It helps. Let us grow. Chris just did a fake jump shot. I'm out of here. Talk to you next week.